Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. I want to welcome everyone who's listening to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling. A very happy upcoming American Thanksgiving to those of you that celebrate and certainly what ordinarily would be a big holiday week of sorts for retailers with Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Not the impacts this year that we would have seen in years past. So ordinarily we'd wish you a happy Black Friday and Cyber Monday on this podcast, but we don't know what to expect this upcoming week, especially since sales have been so spread out in the retail universe. On this show, we wrap up our holiday shopping projection series with Mike Webster. He's the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oracle Retail. Some great data coming via them, and we'll also talk about one of Amazon's late-year PR initiatives from years past, potentially being buried or in the early stages of that. But first, Walmart beats analysts' expectations this week in their earnings call, but shows some continued slowing of grocery and general merchandise sales growth. Now, both Walmart and Target released earnings this week. Honestly, Target was the more impressive of the two, but we wanted to talk about a few different things surrounding Walmart, and so we're profiling them on this week's show. And just as a bit of a preface, we talked last week about how comp sales at both Grocery Outlet and Spartan Nash were up in the 10% range, with Grocery Outlet comping slightly lower. So when we were talking about this, we initially chalked this up to potential demand for higher-end grocery products, at least as far as Grocery Outlet is concerned, as far as why those comps weren't as high as what we had expected to see. However, we saw with Target earnings this week that their comps came in up 9.9% just from in-store sales alone. So that's very strong and slightly above line with other general merchandise retailers including digital, their comps, grocery, general merchandise, and everything were up 21.3%. So we had this as the backdrop for Walmart's earnings call. And in aggregate, I think, even with Target's splendid call this week, we're starting to see evidence of slowing demand at grocers and general merchandise retailers, at least through late September and early October. That said, we should absolutely not take any of this to mean that comp sales will continue this downward trend, at least as far as downward growth. They're not actually going down, of course, still positive at all these retailers. But I don't know that we should expect the continuation of this trend for the fourth quarter because fourth quarter, we've got two sets of unknowns here. Second COVID wave, or again, third or fourth, depending on who you listen to. And perhaps more important for retailers, a second set of shutdowns and or lockdowns in certain areas. And of course, the holiday season. Anyhow, with all of that as a backdrop, Walmart did beat analyst estimates, which most retailers have been doing. For whatever reason, analysts' consensus estimates seem to be fairly bearish for a lot of general merchandise and grocery retailers. And this is regarding not only their bottom line, but overall revenue and comps as well. Analyst expectations for comps were oddly bearish, as Street Accounts survey indicated an expected comp increase of 3.9% year-over-year. Instead, Walmart's same-store sales were up 6.4%. Not Target numbers here, nowhere even close to Target's numbers, but certainly not bad either for a retailer as large as Walmart. They also fell short of Target's numbers when it comes to traffic. While Target's traffic was positive, Walmart's comp transactions were down 14.2%, which is a little more than the average grocery retailer or general merchandise retailer we've seen. 
The average ticket was up 24%, though, for Walmart. And Target, by the way, if you're curious, they kind of went the other way. They surprised with comp traffic growing 4.5%. So more people going to stores, more people going to their e-commerce site overall. Certainly different from what we've been seeing from most retailers, except for one, which we'll get to later in this story. Now, Walmart's revenue topped expectations by over $2 billion, coming in at $134.7 billion, and their adjusted diluted earnings per share came in at $1.34, which was a decent beat over Refinitiv Consensus estimates of $1.18. Now, the number that grabbed headlines was that 79% year-over-year increase they showed in U.S. e-commerce sales. CNBC's headline called e-commerce sales soaring at Walmart. Although this isn't that much larger when you compare it to pre-pandemic growth numbers for Walmart's e-commerce, at least based around what we've been seeing of late with e-commerce numbers jumping so much in the COVID era. And this growth, this online 79% increase in sales and e-commerce touching sales, that was dwarfed by Target's announcement of digital comps being up a whopping 155% year over year. But as I mentioned, we don't want to be completely bearish about Walmart in this story. And moreover, I don't want to get bogged down in the numbers. Instead, what I want to do is, well, Walmart's got two huge store chains here in the United States. Of course, Walmart and Walmart Neighborhood Market, but you also have Sam's Club. And I think it's most instructive for us to look at this earnings call through the lens of what we can learn surrounding categories that are doing well. Because again, not that Walmart is always a bellwether for the general merchandise retail sector, but they often are. And I think it's going to be more instructive to us to look at that rather than saying, oh, well, SGNA was up a certain percentage because we know Walmart's going to see bottom line success pretty much regardless of what they do. So looking at the particular areas they saw growth in, they broke it down into three categories, general merchandise, health and wellness, and grocery. So these are massive categories that encompass a lot of different things for Walmart. So looking even deeper, health and wellness and general merchandise were up high single digits over a year ago, while grocery was up mid single digits. Again, somewhat behind some of their competition who have been seeing comps in the grocery sector of around 10 to 12 percent increases health and wellness saw benefits from pharmacy comp sales in particular actually walmart noted on the call something we haven't really heard a ton of recently from cvs or walgreens it's been floated a few times but not a major subject of conversation branded drug inflation so a lot of times CVS, Walgreens talking on their calls about generic drugs, but here branded drug inflation, a main driver to Walmart's income in this health and wellness section. They also saw a boost from a phased reopening of their vision centers, although who knows with more closures coming along in certain parts of the country, how long those will be able to remain open. General merchandise, meanwhile, saw strength in home, electronics, toys, and sporting goods. Those are four subcategories that have been hot for nearly every retailer, especially home, which we've mentioned on the podcast a lot over the last couple of months, both in our news stories and with our interview guests. Analysts and researchers that we spoke to coming into this quarter, by the way, felt like back-to-school sales would reflect a bit of a transition from stationary pens and pencils and the like to computers handheld devices and electronics as certain schools shifted to e-learning. 
Was that something we saw in this quarter? I think we have to say yes, at least as far as Walmart is concerned, because we mentioned electronics being up for them. Their main softness in general merchandise year over year came from back-to-school stationary supplies. Also, back-to-school apparel. Again, no surprise, something most had slightly expected here. So you're seeing not necessarily a decrease in that back-to-school spending from this latest quarter, just a different mix where parents are spending their money on products for their children. Meanwhile, in grocery, they saw strength in non-food items, which sounds kind of interesting because they use food and grocery interchangeably oftentimes on the call, but paper products and household chemicals were the strongest categories within the grocery segment, although they did note general food strength. They didn't call out a specific category. So those are the Walmart stores and Walmart neighborhood market stores themselves. Now, an argument could be made that the real story of the quarter for the company this is something that was overlooked by a lot of media outlets out there, was actually Sam's Club. Sam's absolutely crushed it this quarter. Looking at just the numbers, excluding fuel, comp sales jumped 11.1%. Pretty substantial, pretty much in line with what Costco has been seeing of late. Costco, by the way, noted this week that they'll be rolling out their special dividend to shareholders and typically happens so oh, every three four years something like that and so we're going to see that again here coming up soon now excluding impacts of tobacco this would look even better for sam's this comp sales number tobacco negatively impacted comps by 420 basis points in the quarter Layton has talked often on the podcast in the past about how sam's club actually sells a lot of their tobacco for the purpose of resale to the likes of convenience stores and other smaller retailers. Now, their comp transactions at Sam's, remember we talked about traffic being up at Target. Comp transactions at Sam's were actually up versus Walmart's U.S. operations, which had traffic down. Transaction count at Sam's rose 6.8%. Here's the interesting thing. Comp ticket sizes rose just 4%. So this is the opposite of basically what every other retailer in the U.S. has been seeing which is fewer trips, but people spending more when they go to the store or visit the e-commerce site. Essentially here, what we're seeing is people already went to Sam's for large trips. They expected to spend a lot of money when they went to Sam's. This behavior remained somewhat unchanged from the pre-pandemic days, but what did change is the number of times people are making these trips. And for Sam's, the number of times people are going there certainly has increased. Now, breaking down categories for Sam's, there are some similarities with Walmart in terms of category strength versus other categories. For example, grocery, consumables, and so forth all performed better than apparel. We knew that going in, that would likely be the case. But it was interesting to see leadership call out Sam's for apparel performing reasonably well within the home and apparel category. As a category for Sam's, that was up low single digits, home and apparel. Interesting in that housewares and home was not mentioned as a well-performing category, though kitchen was. So you had kitchen and apparel really driving this category, whereas apparel was bringing down that general merchandise category over at Walmart. In Sam's fresh and freezer section, fresh meat and all frozen and produce were subcategories that were noted with success on the call. Interestingly enough, soda was noted as being a good performer too. And this kind of flies against what we're seeing in general with 
kind of flagging soda sales as people turn to water or alternate beverages and away from sugar, something we've been seeing over the last couple of years. And also the things we've been talking about recently on the podcast where we're seeing those wellness products, exercise products, sales, they're going up. People are more health conscious than ever. Drinking more soda doesn't really dovetail with that. So it was very interesting to see Sam's call out soda specifically as a well-performing subcategory. Now, the best-performing category for Sam's was consumables. That was up in the low 20% range over last year. So that's a big number from the consumables category. Even in the third quarter, prior to whatever you want to call this most recent and more severe wave of COVID here, they were seeing massive traffic in paper goods. So even dating back to August and September, paper goods were flying off the shelves for Sam's causing this jump. One area where the nesting habits of U.S. residents that we've talked about on the show may have had a positive impact in the quarter for Sam's is in technology. Although they didn't see that jump in home that so many retailers have been seeing, the category was up mid-single digits for Sam's as a whole, but televisions sold especially well. And once again, evidence there of when you've got people at home more often, they're paying attention to Maybe what they don't have at home and televisions were flying off the shelves earlier than when they usually do in the October through December season at Sam's Club. Finally, health and wellness, that category saw a different driver at Sam's versus Walmart. Walmart, we talked about, saw strength in pharmacy sales, that branded drug inflation. Sam's, though, saw over-the-counter medications performing especially well, and that resulted in comps in the high teens in that category. Now, a couple of brief notes on the call Q&A. First from Michael Lasser of UBS, who was actually brave enough to ask what everyone was no doubt thinking on the call. Why did grocery comps at Walmart increase a fraction of what comps had been increasing at conventional grocers? We talked about to open the show, Spartan Nash up double digits, grocery outlet up 9.1%. Why were Walmart's comps so much worse. They still grew, obviously. But John Ferner, who is the CEO of Walmart US, didn't really have an answer in his response. He talked a little bit about Walmart feeling as though share grew as a result of better in-stock position during this latest quarter, the third quarter. But Ferner didn't address the comp sales portion or the idea that perhaps grocery at Walmart is insulated against sharp variation in growth and pullbacks because Lasser said in his question, Hey, is it such that your sales are just so immense in grocery that you're not going to see these major pops or pullbacks at any given point in time? And Ferner didn't really address that question. So I thought that was interesting. Another interesting question was asked by the always brilliant Karen Short of Barclays regarding continued reductions in store hours in most markets. Now, Ferner wasn't able to pinpoint how much adding another hour or two to their open hours in certain markets during Q3 added to Q3's sales, but he did note that adding that hour or two, depending on market, had a definite positive impact. He also mentioned that he didn't have any guidance regarding potentially going back to 24-7 stores in some markets either. Having stores open overnight was certainly a differentiator for Walmart pre-COVID, but for right now, Ferner said 7 to 10 p.m. or 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. was their goal, depending on market. Many markets now beginning to install curfews where the stores have to close at 10 p.m. So it's a bit early now to think of returning to the 24-7, but 
just kind of the language and the way they approached it on the call, you wonder if that's ever going to be a thing for most Walmart stores in the future. Finally, when asked about inventory position for panic buying and panic buying products, Ferner noted that in the U.S., stock position was really strong on hand sanitizer and masks. They have plenty of those two things. However, there is stress on bath tissue and cleaning supplies, two categories you'll remember they called out for strong Q3 performance in their Walmart stores. He also noted that he was impressed overall with fresh meats strength in supply, which is something that Certainly in the early summer months, we weren't seeing, but there's still a bit of pressure on bacon, breakfast foods, and deli, depending on market. And that is something that he noted in closing, is that stresses and pressures on the supply chain are going to be market dependent. He was very complimentary of buyers. He was very complimentary of all Walmart associates across the chain within Walmart in terms of being able to keep things in stock and keep stores adequately supplied. But we have seen some video evidence recently of panic buying for things like bath tissue. But as a, a quick note, the Walmart nearest me had substantial amounts of bath tissue in stock at about 1 p.m. on a Saturday, despite that Walmart being incredibly busy. So again, you look at what he's saying and that these may be market specific, especially markets that might be threatening fuller shutdowns. You look at California, you look at New York. Maybe you're going to see stock run out in those markets before you see stock run out in markets who are tending to stay open. Now, I should mention my market where I live in Colorado, we're in something called a code orange here, which is basically as severe as what it was in May of the early pandemic season. So I shouldn't say that things are completely open here because they, they really aren't, but Something to keep in mind going forward is we're going to see more of these market-specific impacts than maybe what we saw in March through May because states were quicker to reopen, but nearly every state did shut down during those months. And I think we're going to see kind of the reverse happen where states might delay closing a little bit more, which might delay that panic buying a little bit more at Walmart and other like stores. So a couple of very interesting things, I think to glean from this earnings call. Coming up after this break, we'll be joined by Mike Webster, once again, the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oracle Retail. He'll be talking about their recent holiday shopping survey of customers and some great insights, some things we haven't yet touched on to preview the holiday season. We wrap up our look at holiday retail shopping reports with Oracle Retail's recent survey and report. Their annual global holiday shopping survey results were released in late October, but joining us to dive into the details of the survey is Mike Webster, the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oracle Retail. We're excited to have him on. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Hi, Trent. It's a pleasure. Thank you. First, I was wondering if you could share a little bit of a background about the survey and where the data comes from, because this survey is a little bit different than the others we've discussed on the podcast in that it is truly a global survey. Yeah, we're fortunate at Oracle that we work with retailers every day around the world, and the survey you know, really looked at critical markets, the United States, Mexico, Brazil, the United Kingdom, Italy, Germany, France, Australia, China. So we think it's a fairly comprehensive look at what behaviors consumers are demonstrating in this very, very interesting time. 
Now, one of the things I wanted to underscore, obviously, this isn't Oracle's first rodeo in terms of generating these type of reports. And I know the questions asked of consumers are a lot different this year because of the pandemic. But based on the history of the study and your work at Oracle Retail, how closely has what retail shoppers has said they will do around the holidays aligned with what they actually do in the past? Well, I think the study is really intended to serve two purposes. You know, first is obviously we want to help inform the decisions our customers take based on insights into behavioral changes. And it has been consistent throughout the years of our study that what we hear in consumers demanding in terms of choice, convenience, and change, you know, is validated in, you know, the periods that follow. But the primary focus we're trying to do is to help our customers look at what business processes and the critical role and the growing role that technology plays in delivering those processes, what changes are happening so they can be prepared to serve customers. That's some great insight on the background that's kind of fueling these type of surveys. Now, I wanted to turn our attention to the results themselves and some of the data that you were able to find. I think if you look out most media, so much of the narrative currently is around customers turning their shopping habits to e-commerce. And I think if you only read larger media outlets, you would believe that brick and mortar stores are a ghost town. But your study actually found that people may be ready to head back to in-person shopping in Q4 and especially for the holiday season. What were some of the study's key findings as far as brick and mortar is concerned? What this study helped demonstrate is that, you know, we shoppers have a longing to return to normalcy, whatever that normalcy is defined as, but with some clear changes. About 20% of the respondents indicated that they will return and that the store, a physical store, will be their primary destination for their purchases. About half of the respondents indicated that they will have a mix or an omni-channel experience of both physical and digital channels. And we saw the introduction in the survey for the first time of a couple of new concepts, most meaningfully about 16% of respondents demonstrating that they want to be able to order online but retrieve at curbside. So really eradicating the traditional four walls of physical retailing. And then the remainder really are buy online, pick up in-store, which has a little twist to it because that in-store might be at a contactless kiosk. So we really got some deep insights into how customers want to engage with their retail brands they serve. And to that end, we talk about communication with the customer all the time. It seems to be just as important when it comes to communicating a message of safety, though. And obviously, that message of safety is so important, whether you're having customer shop in-store, whether it's buy online, pick up in-store, curbside, what have you. What were some of the things customers said that they valued to this end in terms of communication of safety? Yeah, I think the communication is absolutely key, but really what consumers want more than that is visible evidence that their safety concerns are being addressed. Eight out of 10 respondents in their survey indicated that their preference is to see not only staff, but other customers wearing masks. About eight out of 10 also indicated they want to see kind of visible cleaning efforts, not just plexiglass dividers, but actual evidence that the stores are being cleaned more thoroughly. And we did see, you know, about two thirds of the respondents indicating that they'd prefer a contactless checkout. Some real key visible signs of safety in addition to the communication that the brands care about. 
And I know some of the things you asked about in the survey had to do with location. What were some of the main findings as far as safety and location were concerned for the customer? What we saw is that there is a group of consumers that felt that they would be more than comfortable to return to an indoor mall setting. It's roughly 20% of the respondents. About of a quarter of the respondents that you had perhaps a little bit of a different view and that they would feel more comfortable in outdoor shopping venues. And really the survey concluded that a majority are fine with either indoor, outdoor, as long as they felt that those proper safety precautions were being taken care of and that they had a comfort level with the occupancy level in the stores. About three out of four of our respondents indicated that retailers that are managing traffic volumes would help them feel more comfortable and safer as they return to shopping. And so once again, it comes back to the communication, because if there are no signs, if there's no one at the front kind of meeting you, there's no way to meter those occupancy levels or convey that information. What are some discussions that Oracle Retail has had with retailers, just not only in terms of implementing those safety efforts, but making sure that they are clear and obvious to the customer? It's a dynamic picture. Obviously, we serve global brands that deal with a variety of local regulations and you know very specific protocols. I think all of our customers have demonstrated that you know protecting the safety not only of their consumers, but protecting the safety of their staff are absolutely board level mandates. And we think that they are taking the steps that are required to not only accommodate safety, but continue to provide a very critical element of retail, which is the experience and why people, again, are longing to get back in stores, interact with products and interact with staff that have expertise. So I want to shift gears away from the safety and the safety messaging here to simply availability of product and inventory. We actually heard from a recent interviewee that the best retail marketing in 2020 was simply having products available for the customer. What did your study find that kind of corroborated this concept of availability of inventory as marketing? Well, I think availability of inventory continues to be a huge priority and a huge challenge. As we've seen consumers change their behaviors and you know, looking at stockpiling of certain categories. And we've also had supply constraints as a variety of markets struggle to source products to meet the demand. What we see is again, retailers having to do two things. One is we are seeing consumers that are shifting their loyalty. So if there is an out of stock position, consumers are more than willing to try a private label brand or another national brand. That's one dimension that we've seen around this surge in the way consumers are shopping. The other thing that we've seen around communications is the the absolute critical need for real-time updates on items throughout a delivery process. So if I've placed an order with you, the demand on transparency and timely updates on where that product is in the logistics process is absolutely critical to us as consumers. I think the other dimension is, you know, really around kind of how retailers are promoting and what we as consumers are expecting. No doubt that price continues to be a very high priority in the purchase process. And about half of our respondents indicated that they are expecting to see some sort of offer or discount. But what was really important in the survey was that About a quarter of the respondents indicated immediate availability and fast shipping was a key priority. So 
You know, it's not just enough to give me access to the digital channel. You've got to be able to execute and fulfill quickly. And that leads right into my next question, because your survey study found that 66% of respondents still prefer home delivery over maybe buy online pickup in store or curbside offerings. And anytime you're shipping directly to the customer, as you mentioned, communication is key. What are some back-end processes? What are some technological processes that can assist retailers not only in the ability to fulfill these with shipping systems getting so crowded, but also communicate directly with the customer throughout that process? I think it touches every part of the retail value chain. You know, clearly there are issues around supply chain fulfillment and logistics. There are a number of issues about how you forecast the demand. There are real challenges in inventory visibility across the enterprise and making sure that they can either pick from a store or a distribution location or fulfill from a third party. So it, it literally touches every single part of the retail value chain. And it is key, we believe, that the customers do a better job in both of those processes, forecasting the demand and then executing it through their supply chain. And there'll be some constraints as we get into the peak of the holidays as third-party shippers become saturated with orders. And it's not just things that retailers do, of course, leading up to the holiday season. There's a lot to consider after the holiday season, most notably returns. We've had guests come on the show in the past to talk about not only the returns process, but how it can place a burden on retailers. Yet, I think one of the most, maybe the most fascinating thing about your findings this year is the fall in potential post-holiday returns based on consumer sentiment. What were some of the things that your survey found regarding maybe some of those post-holiday returns? It was really interesting. You know, last year, nearly 80% of the respondents indicated that they've been making at least one return. And we saw that number drop in more than half. So about 38% of consumers indicated that they have expectations to make a single return this holiday season. I think it speaks to a change. And again, that retailers are giving them more choice. So I can have products delivered to home. I can have products curbside. I also believe it speaks to just where we are in, you know, the recovery from the pandemic is perhaps there's less travel to see family and friends. There'll be a little bit more gift card purchases that perhaps lightens the load on returns, but it was a meaningful number year over year in our survey. So you touch on the the gift card purchases here. Where are some of the categories that we expect to maybe be a little bit different in terms of spend, whether better or worse in 2020 based on your survey results? We saw strength in certainly grocery and cosmetics. Those continue to, to see annual increases in both same-store sales as well as online. We saw strength in the electronics category, perhaps driven as we all try to deal with distance learning, distance working, and find ways to entertain our families at home. We saw strength in the sporting goods category as perhaps your gym membership expiration or closing has forced you to change. And we saw you know, improvements in the pet category, perhaps mirroring the rise in adoptions in new pets that we've seen over you know, the past six months. So those are some of the categories where we saw strength. We do see a little bit of pressure in apparel and luxury, you know, at least short term. As we look at what's happening in China, we see those categories recovering pretty clearly. 
I know I've purchased five exercise bikes just since the beginning of March, so I'm certainly contributing to that sporting goods category for retailers. But to shift gears a little bit, obviously we can look ahead to the holiday season 2020, but there's also a lot to be learned about what's going to happen in the early portion of 2021. Certainly returns are one part of that. Category shifts are another part of that. But as you have these dialogues, these conversations with retailers, what are some of the key themes that are coming up regarding maybe Q1 or Q2 of 2021? Well, I think with many of the customers we serve, you know, with the pandemic is validating the the role of the stores as critical as ever. It still is, again, a place for them to differentiate their experience and their products. Still a place, you know, where culture and experience meet. So I think the pandemic has validated that, that its role is critical, but its role is changing. As now we see the store being a fulfillment center, we're being expanded to just support things like curbside. We also see many of the retailers taking advantage of this period to change the way they engage. And they're following the consumers. You know, About half of our respondents indicated that they're finding new brands on the social media platform of their choice, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok. And we are seeing customers clearly looking for influencers to help them on their purchase path. And we're seeing retailers do a much better job in engaging and serving customers in that channel. So we think that'll also continue to expand in 2021. I want to close out with a bit of a follow-up because initially in your response there, you mentioned just how important we're seeing brick and mortar become and the physical presence of retailers has been underscored as something that's important. How are we seeing that physical experience and the moreover, the physical experience that customers are demanding change, not only because of the pandemic, but as you mentioned, some other macro level shifts in consumer behavior? I think we can expect to see changes in store formats. In some cases, we'll see, you know, smaller stores emerging. I think we can, you know, see again, the changing in staffing levels as they reposition their support processes to meet the customer where they are, whether that's curbside or in a dedicated location for buy online pickup in store or at the checkout. And I think we'll continue to see retailers putting great emphasis on getting to a single view of inventory, a single view of order, and a single view of customer so they can provide a more frictionless experience. Great insight. As always, Mike Webster, Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oracle Retail. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for your time, Trent. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. Once again, we thank Mike for joining us. Always great when we have someone with Oracle Retail on the show. Again, you look at kind of the titans of data in the U.S. Certainly, we talk about Cardlytics a lot on the show. Certainly, we talk about Deloitte a lot on the show, but Oracle Retail right there with the rest of them. So my looking ahead story will be somewhat brief this week as it was announced and reported on in TechCrunch this week that Amazon has actually confirmed what was initially reported going back a little ways in Financial Times 
that there have been layoffs in their Prime Air drone delivery program. And the reason this is my looking ahead story this week is because this is the time of year where it is very typical for us to get a big Amazon PR push. And several years back, it was drone delivery. And we saw all of these articles around this time of year talking about how Amazon was going to crush every other retailer because they were going to deliver via drones and that type of thing. And it turns out that maybe that's not the most efficient way for them to use their resources. And that's something that actually a spokesperson said to TechCrunch when asked is that, hey, their larger primary organization has other things that they could be using those resources. So they're working to find kind of roles for people on that drone delivery team in terms of maybe reallocating those resources, reallocating that human capital. So very interesting to see one Amazon PR push go maybe by the wayside. You know, you don't figure they're going to completely abandon it, but maybe they're figuring out, hey, that's not the best option for us to go. We could be using resources in other ways. While we see another one, a very real one or a semi-real one at least, be noted over the last week or so, which is that Amazon is launching their online pharmacy platform. Now, granted, online pharmacies have been around forever, and I think it was very popular this week to say, oh, Amazon is disrupting the online pharmacy industry, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, it's funny because you read the press release about it, and you read all these news stories about it, and it's saying, does it pose a threat to CVS and Walgreens this online pharmacy platform that could deliver your drugs in as few as a couple of days. You know who has a platform that can deliver drugs literally same day to you? CVS and Walgreens. So again, I I get it. Not everyone is as connected with the retail community as those that listen to the podcast, as maybe those that work on the podcast, appear on the podcast and so forth. So it's very easy to generate clicks with that type of content. And you know, a lot of reporters aren't going to look into what CVS and Walgreens has before publishing those type of articles. But I think you look at those two stories combined for Amazon, the fact that they're ending something that had such a big PR push behind it and so many think piece articles behind it several years ago. And they're starting something new, something a little bit more tangible and certainly something that's going to draw in a lot more revenue for the company in pharmacy. We can see how Amazon has kind of pivoted towards the more tangible. And I don't know that this has to do with the pandemic, but it's certainly something to look at going forward because they've made more use of their fresh platforms. They've made more use of their Go platforms of recent. And I think this is maybe a beginning towards a pivot for Amazon where it's not just enough for them to throw out these pie-in-the-sky press releases about these initiatives that they're working on they want to make sure that these initiatives are driving revenue in a tangible way. So very interesting to see them maybe ceasing their drone operation. Again, they haven't announced that they're ceasing it, but they're laying off quite a few employees in it. And they're looking at other things regarding their primary platform. So be interested to see what Amazon has in the works. But we should all note that you know, Walmart, once again, is the top retailer in the U.S. as far as revenue is concerned. And that's exactly why we led this show with Walmart rather than any other company. So that'll do it for this week's podcast. Again, for Leighton working behind the scenes, I'm Trent saying so long until 
next week, our post-Black Friday edition of the podcast, we'll be looking at something that is specific sometimes to the holidays, but most of the time to year-round sales for retailers, and that is flyers. How much are people still reading those freestanding inserts that the likes of grocers and others put out? How are they accessing them, whether digital or in print? What do they want to see out of them? And I think this conversation, which we had with Adam Halim, the Senior VP of Business Development at Flip, is going to be really enlightening because Flip has a lot of data pertaining to how customers interact with these flyers, these ads, these freestanding inserts, and what they want to see out of them and where conversion is the highest for retailers. So a lot of things beneath the surface that you don't often think about that we're going to cover in next week's show. So can't wait for that interview to air, and we will be with you all once again seven days from now. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.